0: Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful chance to be with your people and to uh, pray and to praise you. And we do long that you will change our hearts. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. So pray, we pray, as we hear again your life-changing word, it will indeed do that in our lives this morning. For our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, I guess like many of you, uh, most mornings I, I try to have my morning quiet time. I don't always, but I, I do most days, and uh, I do what you do. I begin by praying, and uh, I, always, I always begin with prayers of thanks. I, I, my, the first word I breathe in the morning normally is thank you to God for a good night's sleep. Isn't, isn't a good night's sleep a great thing? I just thank God for a good night's sleep. Uh, and then I thank God for my health, when, and the older I get, the more, I, the more I'm thankful. I thank God for my physical health emotional, and spiritual. I thank God that I'm healthy physically. And Australians today, maybe like Malaysians, we're pretty healthy. We're a fairly healthy race. Uh, I think the last half century, the life expectancy has increased by 25 years, which is great. Uh, I, I heard a guy speaking the other day who said that with stem cell progress, we'll be able to regenerate any lost limb within 20 years. He said by 2030, there will not be a Special Olympics. There'll be no competitors, because they'll all have been, had their limbs regenerated. Uh, and just the last six months, enormous progress. We've, just, we've got this new bionic eye, which helps blind people. They can, they can see movement. They can detect light and shade. They can see where if, if there are people or things there. There's a new d- device you put under your, your skin. It's neurological which it'll help now to detect an onset of an epileptic seizure. We've made the most process, most progress in fighting heart disease in 20 years, a new drug that promotes the flow of blood, which helps fight heart disease. We're making great progress. We're pretty healthy physically, many of us. Australia's report card on spiritual health isn't quite as impressive. And I, I do pray every day for my physical and my spiritual health. There was an article in our paper last year. The headline was this: "Australians are the worst sinners in the world." British researchers have decided. That's, that's, that, that is so. That is so typical. You beat them in the in the cricket, and that's what happened. That's so typical. It's so typical. But they did this survey of thirty five countries to find out how they go with committing one of the seven deadly sins. I mean, it's, it's kind of a stupid survey. You know the seven deadly sins? Uh, wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, gluttony, envy. Well, the survey found, by these pommies, the survey found Aussies come first in the world in envy and third in lust and gluttony. And do you know what? We're proud of it. Way to go, Australia. Yeah, you know, we can't... We can't beat them in the Commonwealth Games, but hey, we can't beat America in basketball. We can't beat the Germans in football, but we can beat the world in lust. And we think it's great. Well, of course, it's not great. It's it's, it's true. It's dreadful. So our report card, you see, on spiritual health isn't nearly as good. That's our theme today from this passage from Luke 5. It's about being healthy. You've got the outline there on your sheets. Uh, And the two kinds of sickness that our Lord describes here the physical, and the spiritual. I know you've been working through, just just some background to remind you. Our Lord's gone back to Nazareth, his hometown, to launch his ministry. He went to the synagogue in Nazareth. He preached from Isaiah. And he laid down for people his mission, why he's come, who, who he's come to, and what for. He's come to the poor. He's come to proclaim good news to the poor. He's come to set the captives free to give sight to the blind, proclaim the year of jubilee. He's come to those in prison and the blind and poor and by his word to set them free. He's a liberator. He's going to proclaim, preach good news to the poor. And now he meets in these verses two people who are in fact captives, in this case to their disease. And we see how he sets them free. The first is a leper. Now, leprosy, it's a, thank God, it's rare today in Malaysia and, of course, my country. It's a terrible disease. It, back then, the worst one. If you get a phone call from your doctor, out of the blue, and he says to you, you know, Tom, Jack, Mary, I need to see you quickly. <laughs> your heart sinks. And I, I suspect there's one word you dread hearing. Tom, I'm afraid... You've got the big C. You have cancer. Well, back then, if the doctor rang and said, Tom, you've got the big L. the, The one word you hated to hear. Because once you heard that word leprosy, to all intents and purposes, your life was over. You'd leave your house... And say goodbye to your wife and your kids for the last time. You'd never hug them again. You'd never kiss your kids again. You probably wouldn't see your kids again. You wouldn't be there at their weddings. Their birthdays, the birth of your grandkid, you wouldn't be there. No more dinner at the neighbor's house. No more walk down the village street. No more trip to the synagogue, the temple... To all intents and purposes, you were a living corpse. Your life was over. It was a dreadful disease, leprosy. You're an outcast. Well, this man has heard about Jesus. Because, of course, they've all heard about Jesus. He's he's, he's so well known. At the end of chapter 4, we read, Amazement came over them all. And they kept saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority... And power, and they come out, and news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. So, this man's heard about Jesus, his power, authority, and he knows with the same power he cast out demons, he could cleanse him of leprosy. He knows this man can. There's no doubt that this man has the power, he can do it. Well, he can. He's willing, well, but is he willing? He's able, but is he willing? He has the power in his hands. Does he have the desire in his heart? Lord, he says, if you are willing, I know you can. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Well, of course he's willing. And he he, he heals him. And in fact, Luke says, he reaches out and he touches him, which seems to us a fairly, well, Inconsequential statement. Well, what's, what's the big deal? He touches him. Well, but he didn't need to touch him. When he cast out demons, he didn't touch them. Earlier on, when he healed Peter's mother in law, we just told he rebuked the disease. In chapter 7, he heals a Centurion slave from a distance. In chapter 17, he heals 10 lepers from a distance. He didn't need to touch him. And of course, if you touch a leper, you become ritually unclean. You know, in the the Jewish system, if the clean touches the unclean, they both become unclean. He didn't need to touch him. But of course, with Jesus, when the clean touches the unclean, he makes the unclean clean. So he touches him, and the man is cleansed, and Luke says, immediately the disease left him. It's the very same word used for when the disease the spirits left the demon possessed man. They left him. They were it was cast out. He was set free. This disease which had imprisoned him no longer is there, and he, he's set free. He's a free man, free from leprosy. His life has begun all over again. Here's a captive who's been set free by a word from Jesus. Well, the second scene is quite a contrast. The word spreads even more. We now, in the first scene, just a Lord and one man, two people. Now, a whole crowd. They're in a house, and I think hundreds there around the house. The word spread about him. And the Pharisees, for the first time, appear in the Gospel. They've come from everywhere to check him out. They're the, the, kind of, the moral and religious police. They've come to investigate him. And they're all there, this vast crowd. And a, some men come with their friend, or maybe a relative, who's paralysed. Not unclean, but an outcast. He couldn't go in the temple, couldn't be a priest. And you know the story of their very desperate measure to get into the house. It's packed with people. It's reckless. I mean, can you imagine here at St Mary's? The place here is packed. So Fogast, what do we do? Let's we'll smash a window. We'll get, get a brick. And they smash the window. This one, they forced out. Andrew would not be impressed, I don't think. But how else do you get in? These guys smash the roof. They bring the guy in there. It's, it's reckless. It's presumptuous. It's bold. But the Lord sees it as faith. He sees the man's faith. And now we come to the heart of the story. If the crowd were surprised by how they entered the building, they're more surprised by what Jesus says next. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now isn't that striking? Because apart from the fact he's paralysed, we know nothing about this guy. I spoke last night at the dinner on Luke's, uh, Luke 7, and the woman who washes our Lord's feet with her hair. And Luke says, she, a woman came into the house a sinner. He tells us she was a sinner. Luke does not say here a paralysed man came into the house a sinner. He doesn't say he was a tax collector or a drunkard or an adulterer. Apart from the fact he could not walk, he's just like you and me. He's an ordinary bloke. See the point. There's no link between his paralysis and some sin he's committed. Just like if you were to be very sick. There's no link necessarily. A couple of years ago, my brother Lord and his wife were on their tandem bicycle up in Maine in North America. Hit by a car doing 80 miles an hour. 80 miles an hour on a bike. They're lucky to be alive. Broken bones. Just a mess. To the months to recover. They're a godly couple. As far as I know, there's no link between that accident and any particular sin. Two months ago, my niece, similarly, riding a bike. I'm not riding bikes. Riding a bike, hit by a car, broken bones, godly girl. No link. Before I came here this morning, I checked my email. A friend in Melbourne just diagnosed with cancer of the oesophagus. A godly man. No link, as far as I know, between any sin and the cancer. Now, of course, there is cancer... And paralysis and disaster because because of sin. We've sinned against God. In our world are these things and the age to come when there's no more evil, no more Satan, when it's cast out, disease and death is cast out with us. But here's the point. There's no link directly between this man's sin and his paralysis. But by saying these words, your sins are forgiven, he tells the man and tells us what the man's greatest need is because the Lord knows the difference between appearances and reality the man is paralyzed it appears that his greatest need is to walk again this woman has cancer it appears that her greatest need is chemotherapy and healing This man has lost his job. It appears that his greatest need is employment. Your son and daughter want to have a happy, fulfilled life. It appears they need to do well in school and get into a good university. This girl is single and lonely. It appears her greatest need is a man to love her and care for her. But Jesus is saying here, don't look at appearances. Don't look on the outside, because Jesus sees beneath the outside and the appearance of what's our real need, what's our greatest need. And he tells this man and all of us, really, that our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. A man walked into my office in Melbourne about two years ago, dressed in a suit with a briefcase, and I, I trained preachers. And I said, how can I help you? And he seemed actually quite awkward, I mean, quite nervous as a guy. And he, he was sort of shuffling and looking down. And, and he said, well, he I want to learn to preach. I, I couldn't quite picture him preaching, actually, really. So I said, uh, uh, really? Okay. Uh, why do you want to learn to preach? Well... Well, my, my, my wife thinks it would be a good idea. <laughs> I looked at my colleague and said, all right, okay. I said, uh, so I said, what do you think? Do you think it would be a good idea? And then he said to me, Mike, I don't feel worthy to preach. And then he said, I don't feel worthy to go to church. This man, I think he's a Christian, hasn't been to church for seven or eight years. Ever since he committed adultery his then wife left him and took the two kids. And he's lived with guilt for seven or eight years for his adultery. And you might say, if you're a counsellor, friend, what you need is, is to improve your self-esteem. Here's a book. I'm okay, you're okay. You should read that. That's, you need to read that book and feel better about yourself. Or you might say, listen, friend, what you've got damaged memories. What, what you need is to heal your memories. Or you need to move on in life. Put back the regrets and move on. That's what you need. You need to build your self-esteem, move on, heal the memories. Well, yes, but he sinned against God and his wife. What he needs, above all else, is to have his sins forgiven. So Jesus sees this paralyzed man, sees beyond the outward need, which is a real need, It says to him, Your sins are forgiven. And for the first time in the gospel, the Pharisees speak. And here are their opening words. What who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the first salvo in the battle of the Pharisees, which will end, of course, in our Lord's death. But in a sense, they're right. I can say to you today, on the basis of of Jesus' death and God's word, I can say to you, your sins are forgiven. But I can't forgive them. I can't forgive your sins. If you need $100,000, I can say, I've heard the bank will lend you the money. I can't do that, only the manager. If you're on death row, I can say, oh, I've heard you've got amnesty. I can't give you that, only the president. I can't do that. I can't forgive your sins. I can't wipe your slate clean. I can't give you a clean conscience. I can't do that. No man can. No man. If you sin against me, I can forgive you. I can't forgive that man his adultery against his wife. I can't do that. No man can. Just like no man can say to a lame man, get up and walk. I could say, well, with many surgeries. And physiotherapy, over time, maybe your dead muscles will strengthen, your broken bones fuse, and maybe then, over time, you'll learn to walk. But no man can say four words, get up and walk, and in a moment, muscles strengthen, bones fuse, and you walk, no man can do that. Like, no man can say, your sins are forgiven, and they're forgiven. Except this man. This man says, get up and walk, and immediately he walks. He says, your sins are forgiven, and immediately his sins are forgiven. That man is set free. Another captive set free by the power of Jesus' word. There's a very moving story in our paper in Melbourne a few years ago, uh, uh, written by a woman called Anna Nealon. Anna grew up a Catholic, uh, lost her faith in mid teens, uh, got a boyfriend, uh, slept with him, and fell pregnant. She was faced with the toughest choice of her life whether or not to keep the baby. I think because of her Catholic background, she didn't want an abortion and she wanted to be a mother. But her boyfriend and some friends pressured her to have an abortion, and she did. And this story, this, this article she wrote, is about her journey to what she, to what she calls self-forgiveness. And she dealt with the awful guilt of what she'd done. She finally told her dad about the abortion. Her dad said, honey, come with me into the back garden. And In the back garden, they built a fire. He said to her, Stand in the smoke of the fire, because I've heard in some cultures that smoke is a cleansing agent. So so stand in the smoke, and let the smoke envelop you and cleanse you. They then went down to a small nursery and bought a little eucalypt tree, a little plant. They came home and had a kind of religious service. They planted the plant in the garden, and the father said, Life in the place of life. That's her story of the journey towards self-forgiveness. I just think it's a very, very sad story. It's tragic. She has committed a terrible sin, taken her life, and in her folly, she thinks, that standing in some dirty smoke or planting a tree can take away her sin. When the Lord Jesus says to her and to you and me, your sins are forgiven. I can set you free from your guilt and make you new. That's why, right before he ascends to heaven, a Lord sends out the disciples and gives them a message, which is the sum of the whole Bible, which is at the heart of what we preach he said this is what is written the messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations jesus meets a leper whose disease and unclean and you would have said his greatest need is have his scabs and sores cleansed. But you would be wrong. His greatest need is to have his sins forgiven. He meets a paralysed man who cannot walk and you would have said his greatest need is to walk again but you'd be wrong. His greatest need is to have his sins forgiven. And you pick up your paper and read of the awful events in Palestine between Israel and the Palestinians and you would have said their greatest need is an envoy to bring political peace but you would be wrong their greatest need is to meet the prince of peace For what did it profit a person to be able to walk or to be physically clean, or even to live with peace with their neighbor and forfeit their soul. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these other things aren't important. Jesus made the man walk again. I, like you, long for peace. But what is the greatest need? What word do people deep down long to hear? you may know the story that Ernest Hemingway told of a father and son in Spain who just fought all the time and the son finally in anger left home and ran away broke the father's heart the father searched high and low for his son all across Spain finally tracked him down to somewhere in Madrid put an ad in the paper one day the ad read this dear Paco Meet me tomorrow at noon at the newspaper office. All is forgiven. I love you, Father. He went there the next day at noon to find waiting for him 800 puccos. That's the word our world longs to hear. From our Father. All is forgiven. Come home. I'll make you new. That is our message to the world. Let me say two things as we wind up. Friends, let's look at people through the eyes of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying be blind to their physical needs, not for a moment. Care for their physical needs. But see beyond the appearance to the reality. It breaks my heart to talk to parents in Malaysia about their longings for their kids. And all I hear is well, Oxford, Cambridge, Melbourne, doctor, psychiatrist, engineer, that's, that's all I hear. I could care less about my kids' profession. My daughter quit school at the beginning of year 11. Quit school. Spent two years as a waitress in Melbourne. Folks say, oh Mike, don't worry, one day she can go to university. She then joined a group called Operation Mobilisation. Became for two years a missionary. She begins next month Moody Bible school to prepare for ministry. I guess she'll never go to university. You're looking at the proudest dad in the world because she loves Jesus. Her sins are forgiven and she's proclaiming the gospel. I couldn't ask for anything more from all my kids. Look beyond the outside to the inside. And keep returning to our crucified King. I I don't know any of you guys, apart from two or three. I, I gather most are disciples. But maybe today you're carrying around with you today, in this chair, a tonne load of guilt. Abortions, affairs, addictions, regrets. Come again to Jesus and hear the words this morning... My dear child, whom I love, your sins are forgiven. Walk away from here this morning with a cleansed conscience, a clean heart, a new life. Walk away today with a smile on your lips and joy in your heart. It's the best news in the world. Because this man by his powerful word, sets the captives free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus looks at us this morning and sees our many needs, and they're real. He sees our physical needs, emotional, financial, relational, and he sees them and he cares for them. Thank you for that. Thank you we can cast all our cares upon you. But thank you too for his powerful word which cleanses us and makes us new. Thank you so much for his death on the cross, for that shed blood that wiped away our sins. Thank you for the wonderful news of forgiveness, of reconciliation, and of life eternal and keep us we pray day by day clinging to that cross that place of forgiveness and renewal we pray this and thank you in jesus name amen